So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Welcome to another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Hey, I'm Nate Larkin, here with our good friend David Hampton, uh, back for our weekly conversation about recovery. How you doing there, David? I am doing pretty well. I'm hanging in there. Lots, yeah. of, lots of stuff going on, but you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm doing great, though. Thank you. How about you? I'm doing well. You know, I'm grateful for uh, the fruits of recovery. I, I, one of the things that I love about a 12 step meeting is when, you know, somebody reads the promises. It doesn't happen every week, but, mm-hmm. uh, and one of those promises was, is that uh, the fear of economic insecurity will leave us. That's been one of the. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I cannot say that, you know, that promise has, you know, instantly materialized in my life. That's been mm-hmm. one of the toughest ones. Finances, mm-hmm. David. Yeah. So, uh, and yet uh, it has been the lessons of recovery and the challenge of my recovery community that's really helped me financially. Yeah. So uh, just to get a little bit personal, this this last week, I finally did something that I have been procrastinating on now for years. Um, uh, I, I have, I'm still involved in a, a business and engineering business, uh, what I've been doing now for 30 years. Um, I don't get much, a lot of personal income out of it, but, uh, I've got a wonderful group of friends and employees who can live indoors because of this business. Right. Um, and, uh, I've not raised my rates in that business in 10 years. We're now in, uh, I don't know whether you've noticed, but inflation has picked up a little bit in this country. I've heard about right? it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Costs are rising. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm not a guy. I'm a lousy businessman. I, do, I don't pay attention to income statements and balance sheets like I should. And were, were it not for a wonderful business manager, uh, you know, I would not be in business anymore. And... Uh, this he's a good and faithful friend who took me aside a couple of weeks ago and said, Nate, you know, you've been losing money now for the last few months. Uh, you know, you're covering payroll out of personal funds and those funds are far from inexhaustible <laughs> and you have <laughs> other obligations coming and uh, you got to do something. Um, I don't know whether you relate to this at all, David, but I still find it difficult to ask for what I need. Oh my gosh. Uh, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I I've do. Got a whole 
yeah, a whole soapbox on that for myself. Absolutely. And so, you know, especially during my years of active addiction, what I did was manipulate for what I need. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Or heavily hint for what I need. Yeah. Uh, Right. And that's all just destructive behavior. Right. I don't do that. I don't do that nearly as much anymore. Right. When I was active in addiction, I thought I didn't deserve what I needed. Right. Exactly. And and therefore, uh, it was sort of my self-loathing, shame and all that that um, would inhibit me asking for what I needed. And then in recovery, it was so awkward that then it felt like, you know, I immediately went to self-reliance, you know. Sure. Right. Uh, Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I totally, totally resonate. Or just kind of this amorphous God will supply, and I do believe God will supply. But I would mm. take, a, I would say, more in recovery. I've taken a completely passive approach when it comes to finance. Mm-hmm. My dad told and, me that uh, good things come to those who wait, as long as he worketh like hell while he waiteth. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was raised with. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, but, you know, finally this last week, I was you know, painted in a corner uh, and was, you know, I didn't have an alternative except to have a difficult conversation with my primary client and say that I have to raise my rates mm-hmm. and, and explain why. Mm-hmm. And it was so hard for me to do. Mm-hmm. And yet, and of course, the uh, I got absolutely zero resistance. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, you know, mm-hmm. and I was not aware really of how much financial stress I was under mm-hmm. until that stress was greatly ameliorated by, you know, a rate hike. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Gosh. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. and it's, re- it's relieving, you know, Yeah. but believing, yeah. you know, and whether it's the, you know, financial insecurity or just that, um, you know, that I won't look greedy or I won't look needy or I won't right. look like I've mismanaged exactly. or, you know, yeah. all that, uh, all that crap that, uh, plays into how we believe we're perceived in all that, you know, is, right. is yeah. part of it too. But yeah, when we ask for what we need and we, and we, um, realize that the world didn't, uh, you know, fall sideways, uh, yeah. And yeah. we go, wow. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll try that again. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I hope that next time, uh, you know, having practiced this a little bit, uh, perhaps I'll move, uh, a little quicker to do yeah. what's best for me and my family. All right. Well, uh, you've got us a great guest. Uh, we're we gonna do. Have a, yeah. Yeah. We're going to have a guy. stimulating conversation and just when we return. on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Oh, we have got another terrific guest this week, uh, a therapist and an author, uh, someone who is bringing fresh insights into the field of recovery uh, uh, David, this is going to be, I- I'm looking forward to this conversation. Would you uh, introduce our guest? I will. Our guest is Serge Pringle. And Serge is coming to us from New York City area today. 
Uh, and Serge is an author and a therapist, and his book is The Proactive 12 Steps, A Mindful Program for Lasting Change. And Serge has, um, you know, he's prompted the, uh, the, the question about making 12-step recovery even more accessible uh, to those who might find uh, some of the traditional 12-step uh, modalities to be a little limiting, as I understand it. And I'm looking forward to hearing more uh, about how that works, because uh, Serge, as you know, that uh, sometimes the 12-step world is a sacred cow that we're not supposed to question, <laughs> or at least sometimes <laughs> that's the message that some of us get. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, when you mentioned the sacred cow thing, I have a lot of respect for the 12 steps and a lot of respect for people who have a lot of respect for them. And so uh, whenever you have a lot of respect for something, you really are cautious to to not uh, want it to be diluted or changed. Um, and so my intention is not to come at it and say, hey, um, you know, let's replace that. Right. You know, that it, it has, you know, a, enormous value. And there is something that by adding a fresh perspective on it, it allows people to see things that they might not have seen otherwise and to go deeper. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Well, Serge, how did you happen into the wide world of recovery? What got you here? Can you take a little bit of time and tell us your yeah, story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've been interested in this for, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 years. Um, and I'm not in recovery in any traditional sense because I do not have any of what is traditionally considered an addiction. Um, I discovered the recovery world through friends um, and I saw how it helped them tremendously. I saw how um, it provided a sense of self-definition, uh, a sense of um, uh, identification with kindred spirits that allowed them uh, to, to progress in, in their life journey, but at the same time help other people. So it was not either being a helper or progressing but it was both have so intertwined. And so I have a tremendous respect for that. And I have come to think over the past 20 or 30 years, having had a dialogue with what the 12 steps mean to me and what they mean to people, what I understand it to be, uh, how I compare it to what I do in therapy and how it helps people, you know, my notion of how people change and, uh, and grow my notion of how I made changes in my life and where I have difficulties and how to overcome them. So it's been a very intense personal dialogue with that. Uh, I say personal dialogue. It's not just something where I'm sitting on the sidelines and I say, oh, I'm a therapist. You know, other people have this and I want to understand <laughs> it and help them. But there yeah. is a constant dialogue, the back and forth between, you know, see what works with myself and sharing it with clients, but also being inspired by what works with clients and noticing, you know, why don't you do it yourself or what's blocking yeah. you from doing it yourself? So uh, there's a lot of personal, um, you know, dialogue with that that has resulted mm -hmm. in creating uh, that vision of what is the proactive mm -hmm. 12 steps. Yeah, yeah the, the proactive 12 steps. Why the choice of that word, proactive? What's what is the uh, 
uh, yeah. What's like the, the importance significance of that term? Of that, and why did yeah. you? Yeah, the significance. There you go. So um, it's a mixture of things, but if you want to some narrow it down to two, I would say there's something a little bit maybe uh, coming at it from two sides. On the one hand, that the twelve steps themselves are inherently proactive, and I want to mm-hmm. address that. Uh, yeah. And so in some way, it's taking a quality that is in the 12 steps and, and emphasizing it. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, it is to say that, um, unfortunately, the message that the 12 steps sometimes or all too often have on some people is to think that the 12 steps are about uh, letting go of any control. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. control is a dirty mm-hmm. word. And right, yeah. that, uh, you know, it's about surrender. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and solely you know, about surrender. Solely there should be about no surrender. initiative. Right. And of right. course, you know, it is, you know, surrender is incredibly important, but it's that right. what it is that you surrender, but what it is that you gain control over. You know, just like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, one of the things that I find most inspiring in the 12 steps is the serenity prayer, you know, mm-hmm. that concept that it's not about, uh, you know, oh, it's all about courage and changing anything. But it's not about, mm-hmm. you know, just letting go of everything. But mm-hmm. ultimately, it's about the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah. Uh, and I yeah. think that, yeah. that is something that's a guiding light on the process of figuring yeah. out what it is that you can control and by all means control it. You know, not yeah. in that rigid way, not in something, you know, but but also, you know, knowing the difference. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah. so my sense of it is by emphasizing proactive is to say, you know, you take a role and that's the role that original the original 12 steps really want for you anyway, because the original 12 steps are not just saying, you know, surrender and spend your life in prayer, but they go through steps that are very practical of uh-huh, making right. some changes. Uh-huh. You yeah. know, so yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying be proactive in defiance of the spirit of the 12 steps, but find, you know, what is really, really truly empowering about the 12 steps and um, make it something that's your guiding light in this process. Uh-huh. Okay. Wow. Serge, how did you come to... Um to feel this was important enough to devote, you know, a book uh, to, because it takes a lot of energy and time and research and all of that to go into this. What, what prompted you to feel like, like maybe, maybe boil down what you were seeing in, in your clients or in, in the people that were close to you who were experiencing the things you were uh, concerned about in, uh, in the more traditional 12 step model that led you to feel the need to bring a book forth so it's not one moment and um like in many things and many endeavors you know um there's lots of ups and downs in the process Mm -hmm. so i certainly have gone through moments of feeling like who needs another um version of this and there's plenty of people who have comments on it and uh you know uh so i and I can still see that point. You know, I'm not trying to say that uh, um, I have that sense of the world cannot live uh, without what I have to say. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, there is something that is a fine line between all or nothing. 
you know, and I think, you know, the between the back and forth is coming back to no, it's not, you yeah. know, like the world cannot live without it. But uh-huh. I think yeah. it can be very useful. And I have I have had enough feedback of people who I have seen that it has genuinely helped that yeah. I think it's really valuable to bring it into the world and make it known. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So um, if we're going to uh, take a look at the steps from a proactive angle uh, and we're going to, without discounting or dismissing the fact that there is an element of surrender that uh, is essential throughout the entire process. Um, but I'm, I'm going to pay attention. So what exactly, what is it that I am doing? I, I, I don't, this is not entirely a passive process. I'm not just, uh, you know, sliding down a toboggan run. There are things for me to do. Um, I'm, 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 obviously, I, I, we don't have time for you to unpack the entire book, but I wonder if you can kind of hit the highlights as we go down the steps of where you see there is a place for me to take action. So I think the, uh, the key part mm-hmm. is to articulate that there is a path through mm. which change occurs. Uh-huh. And, okay. um, and understanding that uh, why you do, why we all do what we do um, is not you know, as a defective character, which is that you are bad, you are defective. You know, it can mm-hmm. be seen that way, it can mm-hmm. be heard sure. that way, defect and defective. Right. But uh, it's yeah. actually that, um, you know, it's very hard to live in civilization without feeling pressures. Right. And there are pressures that we all have to conform, to perform. You know, there are more pressures that some people have more than others. Uh, You know, difficulties in the family of origin, difficulties in the circumstances you live, you know, whatever social, economic, racial, whatever they are. But essentially, as human beings, you know, we live in a world that is the world of civilization, which is not the world we evolved, you know, to be, you know, that, and so it has its inherent pressures. Right. And, um, and those pressures can crush a lot of people. You know, I'm not poo-pooing civilization. I wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here if there was none, you know, we would not <laughs> right, right, right. You know, be who we are. Yeah. I'm not trying to be against civilization. But I'm saying that, you know, all the benefits that it brings come at a very high cost. And that cost is usually not something that we talk about. And so, um, you know, essentially, this is a certain number of people who are left behind. Mm-hmm. So uh, the analogy, for instance, is when we talk in economics terms about full employment, you know, mm-hmm. it's like if 5% people are unemployed, it's great. Um, Mm -hmm. And so if in a society you have X amount of percent of people who are crushed, you know, Mm -hmm. society still goes on. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's kind of the dirty secret that the people who are crushed, you know, in some ways don't make it. It's, you know, we, we, 
we just leave them with shame. We leave mm-hmm. them that there's something defective about them. And it's uh. not just people who are just crushed, but all of us have some parts that are crushed inside in some way in our struggle to adapt, you know, to what we go through. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so we tend to look at that part as, oh, in some way that part is this something that's defective, that's weak, that's not quite okay, you know. And I think the, uh, the whole idea is that it, they, as you get caught in that cycle of shame, you know, yeah. that's mm-hmm. where it becomes very hard to live. And that's where yeah. coping mechanisms come. Mm-hmm. And so the central okay. piece is to say, you know, it's not just about typical addictions, you know. And so it's not in any way trying to trivialize addiction by saying there's a whole continuum and all of us have it. But it's really actually a sign of respect to say, if you suffer from addiction, you know, it's not that you're outside of the norm of human society, but we all are in some way crushed in, and, and are more or less affected by it. And this is about how you can regain the sense of being human, you know, instead of being okay. marginalized and othered and, uh, and put down and shamed. Yeah. You know, yeah. Or behaviors that you use as a coping mechanism to survive. Right. Yeah. So that's a central insight to really do that and then to help people step by step, you know, understand it at the way that feels, you know, gut level understanding mm-hmm. as opposed to some kind of intellectual understanding. But that yeah. they feel inside and are able to progressively develop the capacity to stay with how crushing and numbing, you know, those kinds of fears and pressure are Mm -hmm. and how they prevent you from functioning, Mm -hmm. you know, and then uh, to, as you progressively get it, you know, at a gut level, um, it helps you then understand that you're not going to be able to function without the coping mechanisms unless you develop better ways to cope progressively. Well, friends, David and I are pleased to welcome to the podcast a new sponsor, Soberlink. And we're positive that you're going to love this tool for managing your alcohol recovery. In early sobriety, we often focus on what we're losing instead of what we're gaining. Soberlink, you're gaining increased accountability, a deterrent against drinking, and a tool to help you stay connected with people who care. Uh, Here's what it is. It's a really high-tech breathalyzer device with facial recognition. It allows you to share your sobriety in real time with loved ones. In case there's ever a slip, your treatment professional or anyone else you've chosen to be in your recovery circle will know immediately. Uh, More important than the technology is the brand. It is part of Soberlink's mission to break the stigma that surrounds addiction, which is why they partner with Positive Sobriety Podcast and many others in the recovery community. It's also why they specifically focus on using alcohol monitoring as a recovery tool not for criminal or recreational purposes. There there isn't anything like it on the market. Well, together we've developed a guide called 
Tips for Keeping a Positive Outlook on Sobriety. And you can download it at www.soberlink.com slash PSP. That PSP is for Positive Sobriety Podcast. On that page, you'll also find a form to request $50 off your purchase when you're ready to try Soberlink. Because otherwise you keep being re-traumatized and you keep acting out, you know, the charade of if only I have willpower or if only say God helps me that time. And so maybe you get the message that, oh, I don't have enough willpower or God let me down and maybe I'm not worthy of, worthy of God's help. Uh, and uh-huh. the yeah. point is, you know, you develop the behaviors, you practice them, you make them second nature and you progressively apply them, uh-huh. you know, in life. Uh-huh. And then you have a chance to prove to yourself that you can function. Uh-huh. Did I understand, uh, Serge, that uh, I've read the synopsis of the book and um, that you um, you may uh, question some of the potential limitations that religion or religious ideology that uh, surrounds some of the 12-step ideology to be alienating? Uh, for some folks, is that is that a fair? So, uh, you know, I I have tremendous respect for people who are religious and whose faith helped them grow in yeah. lots of ways. I think people who have religious faith um, have an advantage in the sense that they have a sense of you know somebody has their back. And there is a positive outcome that is possible and in some way guaranteed if they have faith. Mm -hmm. So I certainly would not want to take that away from anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, but what I want to do is two things. One is for people who don't have that to say, you know, um, the experience of faith is not just about religion. It's also something that is a human experience. So if you believe that God created us, then you can say that God endowed us with that capacity. But one way or another, it's a human experience. Mm -hmm. And so how is it that you can build your faith in a better future? And how Mm -hmm. can you, you know, in the midst of despair, find a way to access that and use it to grow? Mm -hmm. Okay. And so I want to, to help people with that. Yeah. Now, for people who are religious, what I, you know, my intention was, and the feedback I've received say that it worked, is to tell people, you know, uh, it's totally okay to think of it in terms of God is helping you that way. But think about it in, in the way of understanding the mechanisms by which God is helping you so that you can help God help you. You know, and so that's the same way I say you're, uh, you know, you can have, you can believe in God and at the same time believe in medicine, mm-hmm. you know. Sure. And so um, if you have a sense of how it is that human beings are designed to heal, mm-hmm. then you can more proactively find a way to do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. One of our earlier guests, uh, has grown, told, told us that she's grown resistance even to the use of the word addiction or to, certainly to labeling anybody as an addict. She preferred to talk about, to, 
describe addiction as a maladaptive response to trauma. Is is that a definition that makes some sense to you? Oh, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's that's a uh, that's kind of that's why to me, I think of it, uh, you know, in a very generalized way. In a way, even if you just think of it as a maladaptive um, response to trauma. Um, you imply that some people have trauma and some don't. And I really like to think of it in terms of a continuum. That, you know, um, I, trauma is not just trauma with a big T. You know, the, the thing that's been wonderful in terms of in the therapy world has been the growth of knowledge about handling people, handling problems in people uh, from the perspective of what we know from trauma. And so from that perspective, you know, trauma, you know, with a small T, if you want, is any situation that you are confronted with that you do not have the means to really deal with. Yeah. And so it is essentially unfinished business that Mm -hmm. leaves lasting wounds, lasting traces, and makes you uh, prone to being re-triggered. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, you know, it's impossible to be a human being without having mm-hmm. some of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And once you really understand it, then uh, you realize that all the areas where you have difficulty, it really helps to think of it as that unfinished business where you get that experience of overwhelm. And essentially, you lose the ability to have your conscious, mindful mind, you know, taking yeah. appropriate action, but you hang on for dear life to something that seems like the only lifeline you had. Yeah. And so it can be addiction, but it's really good to say that, you know, and that's why people have addiction can have multiple addictions. You know, it's not just one thing and you, you, but it's also people can be dry drunks, you know, and it's not about just the, you know, what is a typical addiction, right? but essentially it comes from essentially human nature, the human condition and the possibility of that suffering caused by events we cannot, you know, fully digest at the time they happen. So is recovery then uh, properly understood as a process of finishing unfinished business? Yeah, that could be a very nice way to put it. And if you think of it, recovering is um, recovering, you know, either what you had or yeah. what you had the potential to have yeah. as a human yeah. being. Uh, uh-huh. So how can you recover your full human potential, you know, that you have been unable to use because of that overwhelm? Yeah, yeah. Um, there is a phrase that, that comes up very often in 12-step recovery, and we talk about uh, defects of character, God relieving us of defects of character. And uh, what I think I've heard you say is that uh, one of the unfortunate side effects of that phraseology is that it tends to be uh, drenched in shame. So uh, all of my maladaptive behavior is is not only defective, but it shows that I'm defective and therefore, you know, I've, I've got to, yeah, but so my question is, are, in your mind, are there, are there defects of character? Are there actual defects of character? I guess I'm kind of painting you into a corner, but, uh, you know, um, 
uh, I think any words are good, even if you, even if you take the word maladaptive patterns. Right, I can right. easily imagine circumstances in which, um, you know, 10 years from now, maladaptive patterns starts having a connotation. Of, yeah. There's something terribly wrong with you. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. okay. And, right, right. and okay. so, you know, we change the terms in order to give people a fresh look okay. at the situation. Because if you stop using the old term, then you start to let go of the um, associations that came with it. So I think at the time people came up with the notion of defects of character, it was probably incredibly freeing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Right. Um, and so, again, like all of these things, you know, essentially I look at the 12 steps and it's like it, you cannot isolate things as a whole package. And yeah. Defects of character is part of it and all of these things. And it has accomplished wonderful things for tons of people and it continues to do. So, uh, you know, it's not a question about arguing with one words, but what my intention is, is to give people a different look and a different perspective that hopefully helps them, you know, find something that really motivates them, you know, something clicks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How crucial, how crucial in your mind is uh, human connection and collaborative effort? How crucial is that to the recovery process? Uh, essential. Yeah. That's a, that's a one thing. You know, I, I say someplace early in my book, you know, you're not going to get better by just by reading a book. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, my book included. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> my hope is for the book is that uh, people use it, get a group, uh, an, a partner or a small group of people, and that the, group, the book is uh, a guide for discussion. Yeah. Uh, prompts them to share. Uh-huh. Uh, and so they have a section in the book that explains to people, you know, gives them some suggestions about how to do a peer group, you know, that's going to be helpful. And it's different from the 12 step programs, you know, the, the, because you understand that when people go to a 12 step group, uh, you have a ton of people who are unknown mm-hmm. and uh, they're not self-selected. I mean, they, I mean, they're, they're not selected by the group. They just come in. And that's mm-hmm. the beauty of it. You, you, you're open to everybody. So uh, you have to have rules that allow for safety and respect in that context. And so right. the no crosstalk is going to be very important. Right. But if you have a close friend or a group of close friends who are doing this process together, then there is a different way to do the exchange that right. can help you go deeper. Uh-huh. And, mm-hmm. you know, I want to be very careful to say I'm not saying it's better than the 12 steps. It, it would be a catastrophe to use that in the context mm-hmm. of an open group like the 12 steps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you do this process, you know, say alone or in addition to the 12 steps, then give yourself a chance, you know, to go deeper uh-huh. with a close friend or a group yeah. of close friends. Uh-huh. And yeah. then, uh, you know, it's a, it's an added benefit. Mm, yeah. I like that because I think uh, one of the things I hear some of the people I work with say, uh, Serge, is that for them, sometimes AA can feel a little bit like it lacks some intimacy for them. Yeah. 
you know, it serves a point of connection. It serves as encouragement uh, to hear other people share where they've been and where they are and people relate to those stories and encouragement to work through the steps in various ways and even sponsorship. But very often they feel like um, they need that more uh, pared down uh, benefit of sitting around with four people that could share with one another perspectives more freely than uh, in a, in a larger group where only one person speaks and then another person speaks and another person speaks. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, that's a, you know, a thing that's, there's benefits to both. There's something Mm -hmm. wonderful about having that large group Mm -hmm. and about having fresh people coming in or, you know, and, uh, and that sense of this is a welcoming space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there is, you know, the value of intimacy. And I think that, uh, you know, the and I want to be very careful. And for, unfortunately, the word intimacy is often used as something that's related to sex. And I just meant, you know, in that sense of closeness and openness. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That yeah. you are with people where you build trust. And the whole concept of actually recovery is, you know, dealing with recovering from trauma, which is a lack of trust because essentially uh, you have been crushed. And um, and so how do you reestablish trust? You establish trust through connection and you have yeah. to have some, you know, connections that work mm-hmm. for you um, yeah. to restore trust in the possibility of connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And this really resonates with me because I have seen during my more than 20 years in recovery, uh, very often the progression from participating in the large group with the no crosstalk rule, which is absolutely essential to getting rolling in recovery. Uh, I'm not going to speak up and begin to say true and honest things about myself if if I feel that I'm going to be critiqued by strangers. However, on down the road, I get a little bit tired of my own voice and I now trust a few people well enough that I want some feedback. I want some pushback. Uh, I'd like to be challenged a little bit by people who I know and trust. And that's where that smaller feedback meeting, however we want to call it, becomes an important part of the recovery process. Uh, I, I, I really, really like, Serge, that you have um, you know, made a point of emphasizing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's a question of finding the structure. You know, that's why I describe a structure in which you can develop trust mm-hmm. in sharing. Yeah. You know, that sense of um, uh, that because it, it actually there's even a step that is about the possibility of how healing compassionate listening is. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so... Uh, you know, in a, in a 12-step group, a lot of people experience that as compassionate listening because they know they have the experience that others resonate with them. And that yeah, is a very yeah. enormous part of the program. I think it yeah. is possibly to go even deeper uh, in a, an intimate group that we're talking about by having other people literally resonate with the experience and share how that experience plays out for them. And so you you really have um, that sense of um, you're not alone. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and it's not just a generic resonance, but yeah. it's resonance with the very specific things you're saying. 
you know, and that able to shift from the notion that somehow what you're experiencing is defective, is shameful, is weird, um, into really starting to register emotionally the possibility of having compassion for it, you know, understanding it, not condoning it, but understanding it. Mm-hmm. There you, know? you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. 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 I'm curious, in your own therapeutic practice, Serge, do you work primarily with individual clients or uh, in group settings? Mostly work with individual clients. Um, okay. I do workshops. Uh-huh. Um, and I like to do workshops because in workshops, there is the possibility of um, um, harnessing the, um, the collective. Uh-huh. You know, to yeah. uh, to help people not be alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like, in generally, I like to encourage people to form peer groups. Yeah. Without the therapist, I mean, I I'm all for therapy, obviously, and I recommend to people to go to therapy when you know they need help. Mm-hmm. But I think there is also a tremendous value in having peer groups. Yes, you know, absolutely. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, f- for those of our listeners who would like to learn more or to make contact with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? So I have, uh, you know, this site, uh, activepause.com, where okay. in general I have all of my uh, work about mindfulness. But I also have put a lot of the 12 steps on a website called proactive12steps.com so that people who don't buy the book can have access to the Proactive 12 Steps commentary. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, of course, I like if you buy the book, but if you don't, uh, please use the Proactive 12 Steps and enjoy them. Proactive12steps.com, that's the the website? Yeah. Fantastic. Well, what a gift. Uh, And uh, I I know where I'm going to go later today. I want to read that material. Serge, thanks so much for taking time from your busy schedule to talk with us. Listeners, stay tuned. We'll be back in a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And Nate, this was a really interesting conversation for me. And... um, you know, anytime somebody takes on uh, adapting or changing the the sacred twelve step uh, ideology that we've all benefited from, yeah, I get really curious. And so, um, you know, we've uh, Serge, you know, has this great website where you know these resources of his are um, are found. But uh, I think it'd be helpful to talk about what uh, some of the alternative twelve steps look like in his. Um, in his work. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll tell you what I did, David. Uh, he gave us a, a web address. I jumped over there. Uh, can I go ahead and read to you kind of his version, the proactive 12 steps? Yeah. This is his yeah, yeah. take on the 12 steps. Okay. Hey, here we go. Step one, I face reality. Mm. I'm not able to control what I do. And this has serious consequences. Mm-hmm. Step two, I understand that I cannot force change through willpower. I need to disentangle my life 
patiently. Yeah. Step three, moment by moment, I take a mindful pause to deal with my life calmly and effectively. Okay. Step four, I examine my life with honesty, searching for patterns in how I have been relating to people and situations. Hmm. Step five, I explore these patterns and describe them to another person, noticing the healing power of compassionate listening. Mm -hmm. Step six, I understand how these patterns have been ways of coping with my fears. Mm -hmm. Step seven, I learn to accept the sense of vulnerability that goes with life's pressures and uncertainties. Mm -hmm. Step eight, I explore alternative behaviors and rehearse them in, a, in safe settings. Mm. Step nine, I apply these new mindful behaviors in my everyday life. I sincerely apologize to people I have hurt, except when counterproductive. Step 10, I keep paying attention to the causes and effects of my actions. I act accordingly. Step 11, I make space in my life for mindful reflection. A sense of meaning and purpose naturally arises from that. Mm. And step 12, my life reflects a growing sense of respect and compassion for myself and others. I share this process with others who are struggling. I like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that would be a great set of... Uh steps and and something very proactive for people experiencing any number of setbacks not just right. someone who might fall into you know what we would traditionally label as addiction but just sure, sure. um you know stuck behaviors uh i think that's right, very right. I, I appreciate you reading those that's that's that that helps me <laughs> and he yeah he offers he offers uh, there on the website at proactive12steps.com commentary on each of those steps. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's good material to explore. Yeah, for sure. Well, brother, uh, you, we got stretched again this week. This is a, this That's is a large conversation. We've been talking about recovery for a good long time. Of course, our conversations, you know, pale in length. I mean, this, these conversations are going on now for decades, but yeah, it's good to know that there's always fresh material. Absolutely. There's always another take that we can, uh, you know, another perspective, another look that we can take mm -hmm. on uh, this adventure before us. Right. Uh, well, you know, uh, we still have our legacy sponsor. Uh, Absolutely. BetterHelp.com. We do. Yeah, remind our listeners, will you, David? Well, we love uh, being able to offer BetterHelp.com as a uh alternative resource for uh, what might be traditional therapy modalities for you. It is um, uh, betterhelp.com is a site where you can get a licensed therapist to help you in any area where you are feeling stuck. And this can be depression, anxiety, uh, you know, uh, career change, marriage issues, relational patterns, all these things that you'd normally go to any other counseling uh, situation to experience, you can experience betterhelp.com in the privacy of your own home, your own car, your own, wherever you have a laptop or a phone. 
and uh, betterhelp.com slash positive sobriety will get you a 10% discount on your initial sign up. And it will also let us know that the resources we offer here are helpful to you. So uh, take a moment and check out betterhelp.com slash positive sobriety. Beautiful. All right. Well, I guess that's about a wrap for this week, David. Uh, it is. It another, is. <laughs> another, another fun conversation. Plenty more to come. Yeah. Until next week, then. I'm Nate. And I'm David. And we are your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer Rex Schnelli, music by Rex Schnelli, theme music by Matt Ulrich, uh, hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett, uh, wardrobe <laughs> by Kathy Gifford. 